Hello and welcome to Now Here's a Thing, the latest laid-back podcast crafted by me, Tracy Jones, and me, Heather Noble. It's recording. Well, we don't know we're recording until the uh, heating system in your office yeah. starts to thrum. Hopefully that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Now, here's the thing. I've gone all... Um, I don't know why I've gone all royalty. Oh. Stuart and I were looking at something the other day and we were trying to figure out... I can't even remember what it was. We were having a conversation and it was about... About peers, I think it might have been to do with, um, anyway, some bullshit somewhere. And it was like, oh, it's Lord so-and-so or Lady whatever. And so we got into this whole hierarchy of who's a Viscount and, you know, right honourables and all stuff like that. Oh, good God. I know. <laughs> I can't even remember why we were talking about them. And I said, oh, isn't there, isn't there a book that tells you all about that? Like, why somebody becomes a Lord... You know, um, when you, when, and it's usually that you've done something for the king, you know, and sort of goes back. Is that Burke's peerage? Exactly. Yes. yes. But I, in my head, I thought it was de Brett's. Okay. Right. Which isn't the same thing. But yes, it's Burke's peerage. And you can basically find out, you know, the 17th Marquis of wherever. If you go all the way back, it's because... Somebody put their coat over a puddle so the king could walk over it or something. Oh, lovely. Right. But I did then end up looking at um, stuff about royalty. Can I just ask, have you got any royal lineage in your family? Well, I probably have, but my dad was adopted, so we don't really know who his dad was. So let's just say yes. But probably, I've probably got blue blood through and through. I mean, I'm a classy, I'm a classy animal. Yeah. So, you know, um, but what is what I've found really um, helpful is that I can now look at the uh, court circular to find out where members of the royal family have been. Wow. Which, you really um, you really chose to do that? Well, I didn't even know it was a thing. And then I was looking at my little news app on my phone and it had the... Um, court circular and I was like oh what's that so you can I am intrigued even though I'm mocking it yeah but you can go back and see past royal engagements so for example on the 18th February at Sandringham divine service was held in Sandringham Parish Church and the Reverend Canon Dr Paul Williams preached the sermon you can go back to where the Queen where the Queen was on the um the Princess Royal, on the 15th of February, visited the Ordnance Survey National Mapping Agency in Southampton and was received by His Majesty's Lord Lieutenant of Hampshire, Mr Nigel Atkinson. So literally everywhere they go and everything they do is recorded for posterity. Yeah, yeah. And some of them sound really dull. Um, like the Duke of Gloucester... President of the Britain-Nepal Society, this evening attended the annual dinner at St Columbus Hall, Pont Street, London. I'm not saying that... I was just going to say, no offence intended. (laughs) You know, but you can can just imagine that, you know, that's a dinner um, and he may go every year, you know. Um, Where where are we? 
Um, on the 14th of February, Sandringham again, the Queen this morning visited Kindred Studios in London and was received by Mr Kevin McGrath, Deputy Lieutenant of Greater London. She attended a reception to celebrate William Shakespeare at the Gravener Hotel in Park Lane. Um, was and, Bill there? No, he, he didn't rock up, no. nor did, um, what's her name? Anne, what was his? Hathaway. Hathaway. But the Duke and Duchess of Gloucester were present. So we could go back, I don't know, let's look at the last page. Let's just have a look. We get, This is 2023. Um, 20th of February, 2023, St James's Palace. The Earl and Countess of Wessex this morning dis- departed from London Heathrow Airport for the Cayman Islands and were received by, um, by the Governor of Cayman Islands. They attended a reception at Government House um, and... Captain Andrew Aspden and Mrs Angus Galletley were in attendance. Anyway. Wow. So, yeah, so I didn't even know that was a thing, did you? Did you? I sort of had a vague idea, but there was some record. Well, uh, yeah. we've also got this stuff about the art and history of the royal residences. Okay. The coronation... All sorts Where, of things. What website are you looking at then? It's, Where's got all of this? It's royal.uk forward slash media centre forward slash court circulars. Okay. Um, yeah, Royal Residences, Art and History. Let's see. Plan your visit. Buckingham Palace. Windsor Castle. Clarence House. St James's Palace. Holyrood House. Of course, I have been to Buckingham Palace. I did. I didn't go into Buckingham Palace. (laughs) That was when I was just allowed in the back garden. That was when the Queen was queening. The Queen was queen. Yeah. um, But it was uh, a garden party hosted by Prince Charles at the time. Right. Okay. Uh, What was it for? Um, Princess Trust. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. Shall I tell you a bit more about my my little? Foray down. Yes, like, please. What, what did you find out from Burke's Peerage then? Anything no, no, no. That I've, I've oh. moved on from Burke's Peerage because oh, that's okay. just a list of what I've moved on to. Mr. Piers. Is Debrett's. Okay, so what is Debrett's? I've heard of it, but so, I wouldn't have been able to say what what value you would get from it. Basically, Debrett's is etiquette. It tells you how to behave in certain situations, how to address people. Um, so not I, oi, you. Yeah, so, you know, like, um, do you do you call them Your Majesty, Your Royal Highness, Ma'am, Sir, Madam, whatever. Okay. Um, so it tells you, it, it's it's got an etiquette guide, it talks about the royal family, guide to British aristocracy, um, <laughs> peerage and baronetage, but what, I went to their blog... And it did get me thinking, is this actually for real? Because <laughs> there's a blog, right? A blog, 19th of February 2024, The Name Game. I shall read this to you okay. in the style that they intend you to read it. Okay. Choosing a name for a baby is a fraught business. Oh. You want a name that you love and which has positive associations. And you also want to ensure that the name enhances the child's life and does not saddle them with expectations and assumptions that will become burdensome. 
confronted with a tiny baby, you may well feel tempted to indulge in whimsy, choosing diminutive pet names that are only appropriate for a very young child. And we go on and we go on and we go on and we go on. So what is appropriate according to Well, what, well... Like, like I give a damn. Like, where do we even begin? Um, so, but if, um, so it, 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 a child having an unforgettable name can be very advantageous. Okay. But if parents want to go down this route, they'll need to find a compromise between striking and memorable names, which may well enhance their child's life, and talking point names that are one-off inventions, e.g. Moon Unit and Onyx Solace, etc. But then they think about it. So they're literally telling us that you've got to think about the spelling and you've got to think about how names might be shortened. So, for example, um, if, you ch- if you named your child Archimedes... Who wouldn't? Mm-hmm. Might be called Archie. If you call is that it, okay? Is that class? Well, it's just to be aware. Okay, just to be aware. Oh, oh, Archie's all right. Yeah. What about um, Percy instead of Persephone? Okay. Poppy, but their real name would be Poppe, P-O-P-P-A-E-A, or Olympia could be shortened to Ol. Wow, right. I don't know many Popeyes or but Olympias. The advice goes on. Oh, Lord. Uh, you need to be careful that you don't give a name that is associated with something inappropriate, like Jezebel, <laughs> Herod, Nemesis, Adolf. Adolf. But then, very helpfully, they then say... But, of course, the other thing you need to consider is the surname. Yeah. Christian name, surname. And they actually put, for example... Uh, so it is wise to think of all the permutations and abbreviations of a forename to ensure that this does not happen. Richard, open brackets, dick, close brackets, head. Um, uh, William, open brackets, Bill, brackets, Burry, Billbury. Um, oh. Sandra, brackets, Sandy Banks, Sandy Banks, Azure Sky, Crimson Pole, Milton Keynes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. It, it, I, I, and this is just one blog. So, but here are some unusual names from their database. Okay. okay. Willow, Wilbur, Rocky, Sailor, Armistice, Mallard... Aeneas, Mallard. Mallard. Right. Okay. Aeneas, Achille, Lorenzo, Elvis, Wood, Ziggy, Barnaby, Maximus, Huxley and Wolf. Those are boys' names. Girls' names. Domino, Winter, Bluebell, Bunty. Bunty. Dolly, Dakota, Theodora, Madeline, M-A-D-L-E-N, Echo River, Cosima, which I don't think is a type of flower, Lola, Tallulah, India, Juniper, Iolanthe. They don't go on to say which surnames don't go terribly well with some of those. But that's just one blog about things that I didn't even know I, I needed to know. Well, yeah, they're, they're not calling your kid dickhead. It's probably yeah, Richard Head. Yes, exactly. Can I, can I share one other thing with you? Please do. Taxi etiquette. <laughs> 
Okay. All right. Don't vomit in the taxi. Don't vomit in the taxi. Right. So, um, so apart from the, you know, how to hail a taxi. You know. Oh, here we go. The thrumming starting. There we go. Excellent. Sorry. Okay. Interrupt a hail a taxi. Yep. Um, yeah. So, um, how to hail a taxi. Um, lift your arm and lean out from the pavement to get the driver's attention. Right. Tell the driver where you're going before you get in, just in case they don't want to take you there. Um, pay through the front window and pay a tip. Right. So, all of that in taxi etiquette. Oh, okay. I mean, this this is just for people who um, <laughs> right do greet the driver politely at the beginning and end of the journey and say thank you when you get out. Is this for people with no social skills? Uh, absolutely. Um, so there's somebody who has to read how to be polite. Okay. In yes. Public. So it will actually. I'll I'll expand on this more. So always be polite. Um, if you're in a cab when you're sitting at the front next to the driver, it is probably advisable to indulge in some small talk. You're sitting close to each other and it is strained and unnatural to conduct the whole journey in silence. Most cab drivers will initiate conversation in these circumstances, but if they don't, you can offer a remark like, have you had a busy night? Oh, Christ. And see if they <laughs> so we have how many, how many, um, exclamations of I made oh god oh lord oh christ I do apologize but it's more complicated than that if you're sitting in the back of a cab and especially if there's a partition between you and the driver you do not need to initiate conversation and you should follow the driver's lead most taxi drivers will observe if you immediately get out your phone or appear to be self-contained and won't start a conversation you appear to be self-contained But if they pick up on the fact that you're friendly and amenable, they might want to talk, and it's only polite to do so. They go on to give some examples. If the driver asks, did you have a good night? You can reply, yes, thank you, which doesn't lead to further chat. Or, for example, you could say, yes, thanks, we've just been to the new Chinese restaurant in the high street and it was absolutely delicious. You're handing back new information, which is an invitation to continue the conversation. Okay. So this truly is for people with no social skills. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's hilarious. Hang on, let me just get out my Brett's guide on how to speak to you. Exactly. Lowly taxi driver. <clears throat> yeah. Um, um, but, but, as we all know, we've all been in a cab where the, the driver knows everything about everything. You know, this is part of them, isn't it? That's yes. what they do. Um, but if you do encounter a driver who freely gives voice to views that you find intolerable, the best option is not to get into an argument, but simply to shut him down. So say something repressive like, I'm afraid I really don't agree with you there, so let's leave that topic well alone. <laughs> this should silence the driver, and you can reinforce your message by looking intently at your phone. <laughs> read like I don't need to read anything else I hate to think what other advice they've got for me about um, I don't know in the street there's driving etiquette there's all sorts wow you're welcome how to behave like a human (laughs) totally it's incredible I'm glad we had a laugh over that (laughs) here's my thing humour I wanted to talk about Ah. humour 
Um, particularly humour in different cultures. Okay. Um, and so I, I did a, a quick bit of research. And there was one bit of research. That I, as I was reading it, I realised I was in way too deep. Oh, straight in. St- straight into the quoted research, etc., etc. It was very good. But as I was halfway through writing up some notes to talk to you, I thought, I'm even boring myself here. What, on the subject of humour? Yeah, sorry. So, on, it's very good, very well researched, and I did pick out a few things to mention. So, I should mention the website is called Frontiers in Psychology. Okay. Very, very serious. Yes. Um, but I think the really interesting thing I picked up from this is that no societies have been found to have no sense of humour at all. Really? So all societies have some form of humour. Okay. But they all can be quite different. Um, and the relationship between humour and psychological well-being differs across different cultures depending on how they value humour and how they perceive it. Okay. So in some... Humour is universal, but culturally specific. Okay, right. I think I can get that, yes. So Then I started making a few more notes about the difference between the West and the East. Um, but I'm going to sum this up really quickly, rather than the three pages of notes that I made and realised that I was obsessing a little. Okay. Uh, the West, positive. Um, it's um, something that is seen in a positive way and is linked to people being thought of as more attractive, motivating, creative and capable. Whereas the East, although there are lots of different cultures in the East, tends to not be so positive, particularly in Confucianism, Confucian, Confucianism okay. in China. Okay. You know, there's different yes. isms, there's Taoism yes. yeah. and Confucianism. Yeah. Well, Confucianism devalues humour. It denigrates humour, according to this article. And um, they fear it because of how it could jeopardise your social status. And it's not considered a desirable personality trait, nor an essential part of creativity. That is Confucianism in China. And apparently it's different with Taoism, but I lost the will to live at that point. What, so are they saying that it's deemed silly? Um, Makes you look foolish? Yeah, so um, the Confucianism, according to this article, they value self-actualization and they stress restriction and seriousness. So humour is not considered a good trait to have in that context. Whereas um, Taoism views it a little bit differently and it's um, related to a harmonious interaction with nature. The other thing I picked up from my article, which was very good if you want the detail, was they talked about four different types of humour. Self-enhancing, affiliative, self-defeating and aggressive um, and it, they're applicable in lots of different countries, but different cultures use them in different ways. But then I went for a slightly lighter article. Thank God. Yeah, okay. So this is for a website called Leap.London. I thought you were going to say jokes for dads, 1972. 
Leap.London. Leap.London. And they start by asking if there is a universal humour and something that is funny anywhere. It doesn't seem. Banana skin? Somebody falling over? Not necessarily. Schadenfreude? One thing that is definitely universal, if you try too hard to be funny... It doesn't work. You're not funny. Right. Or if they do laugh, it's in a pitying or ironic way. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and all these years I've thought they were laughing at me. <laughs> With me. What, what it says is that if you make the mistake of thinking that you have to perform, that you need to be clever or outrageous or provocative, then people won't laugh. And that I, was, I think about some... Uh, some presenters, I was watching the BAFTAs the other day mm. and then David Tennant was good, but a few jokes that sort of missed the mark with some people. And I think it's even worse with things like the Oscars and, and other things like that. Oh, they're scripted, aren't they? They are scripted, aren't they? Yeah. And but does that, is that part of the I, problem? That I, I wonder. Yeah, or whether you... it's different cultures. Because a lot of what David Tennant was saying in the BAFTAs I thought was funny and quite clever, but it didn't land with the audience that was there, which mm. is... Presumably a mix of cultures, I don't know. The only other thing that, well, with stuff like that, very often, because we're not seeing it live, live, are we? Yeah. So sometimes I think they're just showing a picture of the audience and there's no correlation between that image oh, of the, the audience time. and when they've actually said That's it. That's a really good point. You know, they've yeah. just gone, oh, we better get a picture of, I don't know, Judy Dench in. Um, well, we've got a photo of her, she looks all right. We'll slot that in just after David Tennant has said something about old women being incontinent. I, 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 I you know, I don't know. Yeah. And it just doesn't because it's contrived rather than yeah spontaneous. It's not edited. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. But this article goes on to say that um, most people are most people are predisposed to find things funny. We want to laugh. Yeah. So you don't have to try as hard as you think you do. Okay. In order to get people to laugh. Often, if you realise what makes something funny, the humour can come out in the conversation rather than trying to perform the funny. Do they say anything about... um, Like, there are things that I found funny once upon... Particularly entertainment, that I would have found funny once upon a time. I don't find it funny anymore. No. Why is that? I I didn't follow that, because I was literally on this one article. Yeah. It did take me down a little bit of a rabbit hole, and I want to highlight this gentleman, because one, he's done a TEDx talk, and two, he's written a couple of good books, and he just talks to businesses as well. Um, But he talks about funny needs two components. It needs to be unthreatening. And it needs to subverse your, subvert your expectations. So it's Peter McGraw, and he talks about this thing, if I can find it, benign violation. Crikey, all right. Yeah, so you, you have to have this intersection. So if you've got two, um, two circles and they intersect in the middle, benign on its own isn't funny, violation on its own is not funny, but a benign violation yeah. is funny. So something you're not expecting yeah. that's that's a bit unusual is the violation and benign is that it's not, not threatening and that's yeah. where the funny is. Okay. It, it, it describes it as wrong but okay. But then people like Jimmy Carr, for example, push that the over the the intersection must be very, very, very small there. Yes. That 
And some people wouldn't find it funny. Yeah, yeah. So then, so that was Peter McGraw, and I can recommend going and having a look. He's got a website, uh, petermcgraw.com, I believe. Let me just double-check if I can get this. Do you know how to use your your, um, remarkable better than me? Yes. petermcgraw.org. Yes, I've got a remarkable, and it's great, but I can't always manipulate my way around it quite so well. Right, so then the article on lead.london, oh, leap.london, sorry, um, talks about different um, humours in different countries. Okay. So this was sort of where I wanted to go, but I went down the, the track of reading a lot of research. Yes, about, about Confucius, Confucius Confucianism, and Taoism yeah. and Freudianism. Okay. Anyway, Britain. In Britain, we tend to laugh at ourselves. Mm-hmm. often at the expense of the person telling the story, with deep levels of irony, and we push the boundaries of what is socially acceptable. Okay. That, that's not all human, but that yeah, yeah. tends. Okay. So self-deprecation is common. Yeah. Where are we pushing the boundaries? That would be like a Jimmy Carr, I guess. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. okay, yeah, yeah. All right. Oh, something where you go, where it's a violation and you go, ooh. Ouch, yeah. Yeah. Yep. I'm guessing that's it. France, Spain and Austria grouped together. They're big on satire and on the competitive relationships between districts and countries. Germany, political satire and social taboos. Clever wordplay and double entendre. Oh, wow. Okay. And Poland, bitter and sarcastic jokes. So Europe in general tends towards satire. Okay. So then in Russia... Gosh. It's difficult in Russia because it's (laughs) clever wit, apparently, but it's related to the subtleties of the language, so it can be difficult to translate. Right. Um... Asia, generally, is rooted in the language. So China tends to use puns and wordplay. Japan, again, is puns, but with long comical stories featuring foolish characters and awkward social faux pas. India, roasting individuals or groups. I hate roasting. I find that really awkward. Um, And making fun of their own traditions and cultures. Um... The USA says there's a diverse range, but often fast-paced and based on stereotypes and ethnic differences. And Canada is light satire, irony and parody. Brazil, sarcastic, dry and dark. Mm -hmm. Mexico, politically incorrect. And Argentina often references history and national identity. There, play None of that's funny, is it? When you just put it like that. <coughs> well, what what is really interesting is as the world gets smaller and smaller and smaller in in terms of you know us being able to access all of these different cultures more readily. Are we going to be more? Is is humour going to sort of blend together a little bit more, or is there always going to be this? Well, if you think about. Okay, Mr Bean. Yeah. Loved all over the world, isn't he? I can't stand I that can't type stand of humour. No. But 
the rest of the world seem to love him and quite my whole family love Mr Bean. Mm. They think it's very funny. Yeah, it's not not funny. No. I I don't like where I feel too uncomfortable about a situation that that's, you know, over the limit of violation and slightly less benign. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But he's known all over the world, isn't he, Mr Bean? But and, but he's part of that because there's no... He doesn't speak, does he? No. So Physical humour, isn't it, yeah? Yeah, so it's visual humour. So maybe it translates better, given, particularly given what you've just yeah, said. The, the, yeah, a Russian joke wouldn't translate so well. Yeah, in well, particularly if it's around the language. Yeah. The, you know, the, yeah, the Asian jokes that are based on language. It plays on words and things yeah. like that. Well, we wouldn't get them, would we? So, whereas a mime, effectively, will travel better in terms of humour. Yeah. The, the thing that made me think about it was talking to a colleague today and he said he, he made a joke with a colleague in another country. Um, he, he mentioned he was they've got a meeting coming up and... Um, there was going to be some tough discussions in this meeting. And he said, oh, I'm, I'm washing my hair and doing my nails that day. Yeah, OK. And his colleague just went quiet for a few seconds and went, OK. <laughs> Why are you telling me that? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, the colleague was male, so presumably yeah. was, uh, OK, I'm I'm going to be very inclusive here. Yeah. So that, that yeah. joke was just completely lost. Yeah, but that's a, yeah. yeah. Died in the water. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I... It, it, is, it is interesting, because it's like American humour. Right. I don't really... I don't really get that. Not, I don't get it. Just go, yeah, it's not... It's not that funny. I quite like humour to be clever. Well, not clever. I don't mean clever in an intellectual way. Yeah. But I don't find... Yeah. Like, um, you like a nested, you like a story that develops, don't you? I like so a nice arc, you a know. A story arc with, with little jokes within it well, as well. Like, yeah. We went to see Richard, um, Stuart Lee the other day, didn't yeah. we? Right, and so he, you know, he makes out like he's all over the place and we go, but actually it, it all comes Very together. Very cleverly crafted. Yeah. And part of that, for me, is the, like the satisfaction of going, oh, that was neatly yes. done. Yeah, it didn't leave... Me hanging anywhere, it all, yeah, it's, yeah. it's the crap. Billy Connolly used to do the same, didn't he? I, I've never laughed so much as in a Billy Connolly gig. Yes, and, and again, it's that very clever. clever crafting, isn't it? Which is probably better than. Well, I don't know, do I like stand up? Like, we, I like going to the comedy, um, the comedy store in London on an improv night because I, I just think it's genius the way that. They take some a word or a phrase and then just, just go riff it. on it, and yeah. I just think. But that's years and years and years of experience. Yeah. And some of it will be, you know, they would have worked together so often that they, they kind of know how yeah. each other works. Yeah. Um, Do you use humour a lot in your training? Always, I'm always messing around. Not messing around, but I, I'm always. Particularly self-deprecation, I will, I will use myself as a foil to try to make a point. 
yeah. you know, so I might use it, you know, imagine a situation where I do so and so and so and I'm going to, so I, because you can't really use, I mean, I'll, I'll do a bit of it. I mean, I was training today, you know, and we had, there were, you know, there were a couple of people where we had a bit of, not banter, but, you know, you, you get to know who you can yeah. test things with. But interestingly... Who you can violate who you can in violate. a benign way. Yeah, who you, and you can pick up on that fairly quickly. Um, but interestingly, there was a French lady in the room, and even though she's lived in this country for 20 years, she was quite difficult to understand. And so, But sometimes she would be making a, a joke or saying something funny... But I was co- I was close enough to her and concentrating, so I could pick up most of what she was saying. But other people, it just didn't. It didn't land because they had to try yeah. too hard, or they missed something. So you know, even just in that, um, just think if you were a, um, living in another country, whether you miss the ability to have a, an easy joke with somebody. From the same culture. I think I would, yeah. yeah. Because it, you know, laughing is a big part of my, I mean, I, you know, I laugh. What did somebody say? Just, my mum, actually, I was laughing. She said, you sound like a chicken when you laugh. <laughs> I'm like, what? what do you mean? But I I laugh a lot. I've never, never associated you with chicken, but now I'll listen out. <laughs> I'm... <laughs> I'm purposely not making a noise in the chicken noise. In case they go into the full... (laughs) (laughs) Which, that isn't Uh. my laugh. (laughs) Oh, I wish it was. Yeah, so, um, Peter, I mentioned that because Peter McGraw's got a book and he does talks on using humour in business. Mm -hmm. um, Presumably for creativity, but also to tell a story and to present as well. So, shtick to business, it's called. Shtick. Yeah. Very good. Stick to business. Right, have a look at that. And there's another book called The Humour Code. I haven't read either of them, but I did watch his TEDx talk and it was very good. It's from TEDx Boulder. Did he write The Humour Code or is that that yes, heavy-going research no, he, book? He wrote you... The Humour Code right. as well, yeah. But watch the TEDx talk first and see if you like him. Now Here's the Thing is a Jones and Noble production brought to you every week. Well, maybe not every week, Heather. <laughs> Recorded with an iPhone, a microphone and lots of hot air.